Well, isn't this fun? Uh, we're finding out together what a contemporary carol service is. I hope you're enjoying it. Uh, it does make you wonder, though, doesn't it? What is um, contemporary about Christmas? Is Christmas really a, a 2022 thing? Doesn't it belong in the past? Is it relevant? Does it matter? And I don't just mean the, the trimmings that I'm sure we all love, the trees and the tinsel and the turkey, but, but the Christmas story itself, we've heard it read, haven't we? A, a young couple, a baby, the shepherds and angels and everything else. Is it relevant? Well, someone says, yes, it's, it's relevant because it's a, a, a nice yearly distraction, uh, an escape from real life into a sort of fantasy world. And I, we could probably all agree that we could do with a bit of distraction at the moment, couldn't we? I don't know whether there is such a thing as bad news fatigue, but I expect if there is, we've all got it. Uh, it's not just broken Britain, is it? You watch the news, you realize it's broken world. It's 2022, and people are still firing missiles at each other. And for a month, maybe, we get to think about something else. But Christmas escapism, it seems to me at least, suffers from at least two problems. Firstly, escapism we know only works for so long, doesn't it? It gets us through December, but January's coming. Nations are still at war, and the heating bill still gives you cold sweats. But the other problem is what you find when you go back and read the, the real Christmas story in the original sources, when you get to the, the facts that lie beneath the myth uh, that get attached to it over time. I don't know whether you've ever done that, uh, whether you've ever gone back to the original sources and you've investigated them, researched them for yourself. You might well get a surprise. In fact, I think you'll get lots. Uh, we heard uh, two readings of the four from Luke's account of Jesus' life uh, just now, his birth, his life, his death, and his life again. Uh, Luke was a, a medical doctor, so this man was no uh, fantasist. And his record doesn't begin as escapist fairy tales so often do, you know, uh, once upon a time in a land far away. Uh, his introduction, you can check this out later if you like, his introduction is all about facts. That is all he's interested in. Carefully, forensically researched, historical, publicly verifiable history. He wants the facts and nothing else. And that's why when you look at, for example, Luke's account of Jesus' life, you, you discover there a world that we recognize. It's a world where, yes, bigger nations bully smaller ones. Now, Israel was under Roman rule at the time of the events, and they were being heavily taxed to talk about a cost of living crisis. It's the real world he's describing, where joy and heartbreak live side by side as they do today, where bad things happen to basically decent people, and where there isn't always a happily ever after. You read the Bible and you discover it's not actually an escape hatch for world-weary fantasists. The, the, the Christmas account, the events there, take place in the real world, the world in which we live. You can go, of course, and visit Israel and see the places the gospel writers include in their accounts. And yet, it's in this real world that something otherworldly happens. And you'll have noticed as we went through the readings that Luke is completely unapologetic about that. He, he doesn't defend the existence of angels who tell Mary the news. Um, he's not embarrassed about the idea of a virgin birth, even though he's a doctor and he knows very well how babies are usually made. He was no fool. But Luke knows that angels appearing and virgin births that he's carefully investigated are absolutely possible if the child right at the heart of the story really is who Luke thinks he is. 
In other words, if he is the child that centuries and centuries before the prophet Isaiah had said would come. Now, unless we're particularly special or something very strange is happening, most of our births are announced, what, sort of six months in advance, I would think? So a, ch a child who's announced 700 years in advance is a child worth our attention. And Isaiah chapter 9, which was the second reading we heard earlier on, is where we hear that announcement. It's where the prophet Isaiah predicts way ahead of time the birth of a person who would change the game completely. In the world of industry, you'd call them a disruptor, someone who tears up the status quo. And the four names that Isaiah gives to this child, or the four titles, tell us why this wonder child will matter so much. At first, for example, the child will be called Wonderful Counselor. And now, this isn't a, a top-of-the-range therapist, right? This is, this is someone who has the wisdom to fix the problems. Nothing will stump him. He, he'll know what needs to be done to fix the brokenness in the world. He'll know how to do it. And the second name means that he's going to have the power to do it, mighty God. The problems won't be too big for him to fix. In fact, there won't be a problem too big for him to fix. But of course, not all gods are nice, are they? Will this wonder child care about our problems? Well, so much, so much that he'll be called Everlasting Father. That's the third name. And what is he going to come and bring? Is he going to come, come and bring war from heaven? No, Isaiah says he will be the Prince of Peace. Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. This is why Dr. Luke is so stubbornly committed to only the facts about this child. No myth, no fantasy, just the facts. Because the birth of this child, for Luke, offers so much more than just a kind of a yearly distraction from the problems of the world. This is a person who can fix them. This is a person who can save. And of course, that's what the name Jesus means. It means savior. Uh, the queen, the late queen, picked up on this in one of her many Christmas broadcasts. She said this. And she said, although we're capable of great acts of kindness, history teaches us that we sometimes need saving from ourselves, from our recklessness or our greed. God sent into the world a unique person, neither a philosopher nor a general, important though they are, but a savior with the power to forgive. I wonder if you find the end of that quote surprising. If Jesus really is almighty God, as Isaiah said he would be, surely he has the power to do much more than just forgive. He, with God's power, could end world poverty could stop every war. He could save the planet from extinction. And through his adult life, Jesus proves that he can do all those things. He does wield God's power. You have a look. Read it for yourself. In front of astonished, slack-jawed eyewitnesses, he, he really did stop storms and cure incurable illnesses. He even raised the dead. He even came back from the dead himself. Don't take that from me. Have a look. Read it for yourself in one of those accounts. But Jesus' priority right from the very beginning was to forgive. One of the challenges of cold weather is that uh, things begin to break, isn't it? May, may it never happen to you, but imagine this Christmas your boiler packs up. I mean, today of all days. 
and suddenly, in sub-zero temperatures, you have no heating and you have no hot water. And maybe you don't have to imagine that. If that's you, I'm really sorry. So you put on all the clothes that you own and you wrap yourself in a duvet and you phone British Gas and, and the doorbell rings and the guy at the door says, hello, uh, British Gas have sent me around to paint your kitchen. Now, it might be true that you've been meaning to repaint that shabby-looking kitchen wall for ages, but it's not your biggest problem, is it? It's not what you most need him to do. Jesus, Almighty God, came to forgive us because that really is what we need him to do. I said earlier on that the Bible describes to us the world as it really is, but it goes deeper than that. It tells us why the world is the way that it is. It tells us that this world is broken in all the ways that we're aware of so painfully because our relationship with God is broken. And for most of us, relationships are right at the heart of Christmas, aren't they? The, the gifts and the turkey and the trimmings are all very nice, but it's the relationships that really matter to us at the end of the day. Uh, be with people that you love in peace and friendship, and even burning the turkey isn't such a great problem. But fall out with them, be at war with them, and it sours everything else, doesn't it? And so it is with us and God. Jesus is absolutely straight with us here. The world is a mess because our relationship with God is a mess. Whether we loudly reject him or we quietly ignore him, we've all tried to live in God's world without him. And it's from this one broken relationship with God that every other brokenness blighting the world in which we live flows. And it's not a problem we can fix. It's not a relationship we can repair. All we can do is make it worse. This is a problem only God can fix because it's a crime that only God can forgive. The Bible knows, God knows very well that the world has many problems. And Jesus promised, actually, that one day he would return and he would fix them all once and for all. He'd bring an end to all war, no more global poverty, a fresh start for the planet. But what Jesus offers each of us today is what we need from him most of all. It's forgiveness. A clean conscience. And a new life-changing friendship with the God who made us and loves us. You're always, whoever you are, you are very, very welcome with us any Sunday here at Duke Street. And I think you'll find us to be mostly a very ordinary bunch of people, but enjoying an extraordinary friendship with God. We're not perfect. Sometimes we're barely even good, though we are trying. What we are, though, is forgiven. Our meetings together don't always look like this. You'll be surprised to hear. Christmas trees look a little bit odd in June. But there is a sense in which we celebrate Christmas together every Sunday because Jesus really is the greatest gift we've ever received and the forgiveness we find in him. And that forgiveness, the friendship that Jesus offers and gives to us with God, if we'll receive it, have given to us a joy that all of the brokenness and the mess of the world can't take away. And you know it's a joy that honestly is too good to keep to ourselves. 
we so want you to discover it too. So here's a very small Christmas gift from us to you. It's very small, but I think you might find it turns out to be very, very big. We'd love for you to take away this evening. We'd love to give you as a free gift a, a copy of one of the eyewitness accounts of Jesus' life. They're scattered around. I'll say a little bit more about that at the end. I'll take whichever one you most like the look of. But get back to the gospel accounts. Get back to the story about Jesus. Go beyond the fairy tale, back to the facts. Read yourself with an adult mind about the most influential person in human history and decide with your adult mind, is this fantasy or is it, as Luke says, the gospel writer says, and as Christians believe, fact? Is Jesus a fraud or is he a real thing, able to offer you forgiveness once for all and a wonderful, life-changing friendship with God? Is he only history or could he transform your present and your future.